let's praise him, let's praise him. that worships in spirit and in truth. I believe when we come to church, we've got to have good church. And I believe when we leave the church, we've got to be working on others to come to church. Well, hallelujah. And I believe those two things will help to facilitate revival. Amen. I believe fasting is a part of all of this. And I uh, forgot to mention to you Sunday or Tuesday that I want us for the next few weeks taking Wednesday and Friday as fast days. And uh, so I don't know how many of you remembered yesterday, but this is a reminder for tomorrow. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. All I'm asking is that you fast till 3 o'clock, two days a week, and uh, we'll do this for a while and um, humble ourselves before the Lord. Amen. I trust, I trust that you're praying because everything else we do, if it is not based on prayer, it is not going to be effective. Prayer is key. It is the key. It is the essential element of anything that is going to be accomplished for eternity. Praise God. Hallelujah. And um, so I trust that you're praying. I ask you to be fasting. And we, uh, Tuesday night, a week ago, um, took some time to pray a specific prayer. And that prayer was, God, I want you to lead me to somebody who needs a Bible study. Amen. This past Tuesday night, we exchanged names and we are praying for one another that God would open doors for our brothers and sisters to teach Bible studies. Because I am convinced that this is crucial at this time for this church. 
If there's anything that you're going to hear me stress over and over and over in the coming weeks, it is the need for us to be teaching Bible studies. Well, hallelujah. It's not like this is a new doctrine. It's not like it's something that I haven't said to you before. But I have found um, that if, if I go very long without saying it, somehow it gets forgotten or folks seem to think that I've changed my mind about it. Amen. Um, you know, I don't get up every service and go through the list of the standards of holiness that we believe. But I have watched through the years that if I don't get up once in a while and remind you what I preach and teach, uh, for some reason, folks just get this idea that I've changed my mind. And uh, uh, so we have to be sure we come along and, and remind you and remind you that the things that I preach to you are not based upon the fad of the moment, but it's based on what I believe it's going to take for you to be saved. And I don't think that changes. Amen. I don't think that changes unless maybe it gets a little stricter along the way. I certainly don't think the closer we get to the coming of the Lord that we need to be letting up. Certainly don't think we need to be loosening any standards between now and the rapture of the church. Well, hallelujah. Maybe some things we need to tighten up, but I don't think there's anything we need to loosen up. Well, the same thing is true of what I have preached to you from day one. Uh, in this church, I've preached to you the necessity of winning the lost. I've preached to you about the importance of soul winning, about the importance of outreach. I've preached it and preached it, uh, but it's been a while. And so we're going to take some time to remind you. And uh, we're going to try to put some tools in your hand because we want you, we want you to be outreaching for the lost. Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. And uh, I think before I even get started tonight, it would be good if we take just a moment again and pray that prayer, God lead me to somebody. Lord, open a door for me to teach somebody. Hallelujah. Why don't we do that right now? Can we pray that prayer together, everybody? Come on, let's ask God to help us. Lord, I know that the harvest is plenteous. I know that it's ripe and ready. But Lord God, I've got to become a laborer. I've got to get out there and do my part to reach this world, to reach this city. God, help me. Lord Jesus, I pray, take me out of my comfort zone. Help me, God, to go beyond my complacency, beyond my apathy, and let me be consumed with a burden to reach this city with the truth, oh God. Lord, you've invested the truth in us. Help us now, God, to invest it in someone else. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. Come on, church, let's talk to him a little bit here. 
Let's talk to him a little bit. Oh, come on, come on. Let's get serious about this thing. God, we need you. We need you to help us. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I need you, God. I need you, God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 I. I am reminded anew and afresh tonight that many of us that are here in this building are first generation apostolics. We have come to God because somebody told us the truth. The truth. Those, Those that, that are second generation or third generation, wherever you fall in that a uh, line of succession. Somebody somewhere invited a relative and told them the truth. And you wouldn't be here tonight if somebody had not invited your parents or your grandparents or great-grandparents, however far back it goes. But somebody somewhere took the truth to a sinner. And you're in the church today because of that. Well, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. Amen. And uh, so we must pass that legacy on. Freely you have received. Now, freely give. freely give now let me let me just let me just say this church let me say this I know that when I get to preaching about outreach and soul winning you know, the tendency is for us to set back because uh, so many of us have not been as involved as we know we should be but that doesn't take away from the truth of what I'm preaching to you And the only way we're going to get motivated to fix the problem is if somebody preaches to us. Well, hallelujah. I'm telling you, I'm telling you we could be content to just come to church from now until the rapture. I think most of you are settled enough and established enough in the church that we're not going to have any problems losing most of you. I think you're going to be here till the trumpet sounds hopefully not any longer than that well hallelujah but I'm going to tell you we've got to get beyond that level of complacency and satisfaction that it's not enough that I'm coming to church 
It's not enough that I'm in service tonight. It's not enough that I plan to go to heaven. I want to take somebody with me. I want there to be somebody walking those streets of gold that I can look at and point my finger at and say they're there today because I took the time to reach them with this message. Well, hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, and so that's why the Lord willing, I want to take a few Thursday night services and try to put some tools in your hands. And I know there are a lot of Bible studies out there, a lot of options. Uh, they're coming up with new ones um, from time to time. And um, many times we fall back on the same ones. Uh, but, but I also understand some of you are new enough in the church that some of these you've never been through. But I can tell you this, I can tell you this, what we're going to give you tonight is not one you're going to buy from the Pentecostal publishing house. And I'm not opposed to that. You're not going to buy it from, from uh, any of the other websites because this is something I feel like the Lord gave me, and yet I believe it can be an effective tool in helping you to reach the lost. Amen. Amen. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. And uh, I, I think that's what we need. I think we need some confidence in our tools. You know, you, you get the right tool. You get the right tool. And... You don't have to be overly skilled at something. Just, just you know, uh, acceptable with it. If the tool's good enough, it can kind of do the job for you. Well, hallelujah. Amen. You don't have to be terribly strong and powerful to, to use a nail gun. It'll kind of drive that nail for you. Just put it in there and... And doesn't matter if you're proficient with a hammer or not. And I'm telling you that if you get if you get an effective tool, then you can you can compensate for your lack of self-confidence if you've got confidence in the tool. Are you with me tonight? I, I really believe, I really believe that that many of you have not taught a lot of Bible studies because you just don't feel confident in doing it. Well, if I can somehow give you a tool where it's not about the confidence you have in you, but you know the tool works, then I think you'll be a little bit uh, more anxious and a little bit more available to get out there and do the work if you know you've got a tool that's effective. Praise God. So I'm going to put a tool into your hands tonight. And what we're going to hand out to you is the teacher's edition to this Bible study. Uh, it is called the teacher's edition because um, the student edition has some blanks to fill in as you go through it. And your blanks are already filled in. Now, I am giving you a copy with the blanks already filled in. I want this to become your personal teacher's copy. 
I say that because as I teach this tonight, I want you to be able to make notes. If there's something you need to make notes and you just take this one and fold it up and put it in your Bible or stick it in your purse. Um, I know for some of us men, our wallets are probably wide enough. Well, no, no. Most guys that I know, their wallets are not empty. They're empty of money, but they're not empty. Most guys I know sit kind of cockeyed because our wallets become our file cabinets and uh, everything imaginable stuck inside that wallet. And uh, so that's why I say some of you, I think it's, you probably wouldn't even notice the difference if you folded up the Bible study and put it in there. You might not notice the difference at all. But anyhow, whatever you've got to do, I want this to become your personal, personal copy of the teacher's edition of this Bible study. I have a hundred copies of the student edition ready for you to take with you tonight at the conclusion of the service. Take some with you and put them to use. Now, for those who are new or newer to the church, when I give handouts, it's been quite a while since I've given handouts to the church in my teaching. I have one rule when I give a handout. I think somebody said it. Don't read ahead. We'll get to the last page sometime. It doesn't matter what it says on the last page if we're talking about what's on the first page. And invariably, when I hand out sheets, everybody starts flipping through. They want to look at it. They want to see everything that's there. It's human curiosity. But can I ask you to stay with me tonight? Because while you're trying to look ahead and see where we're going, you might miss something. And if you're going to use this tool, you've got to know how to use it. Well, hallelujah. And so, and so I'm going to I'm going to um, ask Brother Josh to hand out the Bible study. All of the scriptures are printed in this study. They are all there. Um, Brother Merriman was commenting before I took the pulpit, it's been a long time since I've read for you. I said, well, I don't think you're going to get to again tonight. Um, I have all the scriptures printed out for him, but they're already on your sheet, and it would just take time for us to wait for the reader to read the verses when they're right here in front of you. We're going to take the time. We will read them. Um, but if I were teaching this in someone's living room, I wouldn't have a reader. Uh, unless I asked the person I was teaching, would you please read the next verse? And I have done that sometimes, uh, especially if it's printed here. One of the things you want to understand when you're teaching a Bible study to a sinner uh, you, you have to understand, you, you can't really just tell uh, most sinners, turn over to the book of John. If you've, if you've not dealt with sinners a lot in teaching Bible studies, then you may not understand the reasoning behind that. But uh, I have said, let's go to the book of Revelation, and I've seen them start in the book of Genesis, turning pages. It's going to take a while to get to Revelation doing it that way. 
And um, so, this is, this is why it's not usually good to ask them to find a scripture in their Bible. But if the scripture is printed out and you feel like it would be good for them to read it, another problem with asking them to read is that sometimes people don't feel comfortable reading aloud. Some people's quality and level of education when it comes to reading is not as proficient as they would like and they can tend to be a bit embarrassed if you ask them to read, especially when it comes to Bible terms. How many of you want to read all the words that are in the Bible? Uh, if, if you feel absolutely proficient, I'll take you over uh, somewhere about the book of Numbers and um, we'll start reading some genealogies and then tell me how comfortable you feel reading all of that, all right? Uh, I'm telling you, most of us, when we get to those genealogies, it's and uh-huh begat uh-huh and uh-huh begat uh-huh. And uh, that's about all we do, right? 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 Am I telling you the truth? So, so, you, you have to understand that some of these words that we are very familiar with because we hear them all the time in church. Um, sinners aren't always that familiar with some of this terminology. And uh, I've just recently had somebody struggling just to say the word apostolic. Uh, apostolic or something is what they came up with. And, and um, you know, it's just not a word that, that they use a lot. And so we have to be very careful in all of that. But, but um, anyhow, so what I'm going to do tonight is I'm just going to teach this Bible study to you as though you don't know the truth. And I'm going to take you through and show you the truth. Not because I say it's the truth, but because the Bible says it's the truth. Well, hallelujah. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right. So, um, I know you're standing for the reading of a text, but this is a Bible study. So, I'll tell you what I'm going to let you do. I'm going to let you be seated tonight. And we're just going to start here in the book of Acts chapter 2. And um, I call this Bible study Calling on the Name of the Lord. Calling on the Name of the Lord. Acts chapter 2, and beginning with verse number 13, Bible says, others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. Or in other words, these men are drunk. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire, and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And I want you to pay close attention 
to verse 21. Acts 2 and 21 says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now this is Bible. This is what the word of God tells us. Whoever calls on the Lord's name shall be saved. Now, let me, let me say to you that part of the inspiration uh, behind this study is because of a conversation that I had with a waitress at a, uh, a local restaurant some years ago. And uh, I was inviting her to church. And uh, she asked, what church? And I gave her a church card, invited her to New Life Pentecostal Church. She said, oh, Pentecostal. Oh, she said, you're, you're those folks that speak in tongues. I said, well, yes, ma'am, we are. And she said, well, I'll tell you. She said, you know, uh, I'm just not too sure about all that. And I said, well, I... I'd be glad to sit down with the Bible and show you in the Bible about speaking in tongues. She said, well, yeah, I, I'm sure you could. But she said, you know, everybody gets something different out of the Bible. Um, you interpret it your way and I interpret it my way. And, and, and so we all have our own interpretation of the scripture. And, and, and so really, you know, there's, there's, there's no way to... To really nail anything down because we all have our own interpretation. Well, I tried to explain to her, and I want to explain to you that that's simply not the case. Can I tell you tonight that if the Bible is left to our own interpretation, then the Bible means nothing at all. If there's not a specific interpretation, every verse in this book then it really means nothing we cannot just assign our own ideas as to what the Bible means when it says something in fact that's why the apostle Peter under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost informed us plainly and you see this under number one on the first page he informed us plainly that no scripture is of any private interpretation we, we read this in 2nd Peter chapter 1 verse 20 Peter said knowing this first that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation so, so there is no private way to interpret. It's not about my interpretation or your interpretation. It's about finding God's interpretation. Now, how are we going to do that? Well, we can't go to commentators. We can't go to quote-unquote Bible scholars. I'm going to tell you the only way we can be sure of what God means is to find out where God talks about that same subject somewhere else. 
Are you following with me tonight? Do you understand what I'm telling you? That, that this is the safe way of interpreting Scripture is if you'll let other Scriptures interpret Scriptures for you. I submit to you tonight that any subject, any verse that you cannot understand that's in the Bible, somewhere in the Bible, there's another verse that explains it. And we are safe if we'll let the Bible interpret the Bible. Where we run into problems is where we start letting men interpret the Bible. Because all of us, myself included, are human and we make mistakes. It's possible for me to come to the wrong interpretation. But if I let God interpret it, if I can find another verse of scripture somewhere that explains it to me, then I know I've got the right interpretation. You follow that? So, so the only reliable commentary on scripture is another scripture. But what has happened is that in far too many instances, someone somewhere down the road, uh, somewhere in the past, interpreted a scripture in a particular way. And, and it became the popular interpretation. And everyone just accepted that. And, and you know, um, when we were in Africa recently, uh, this was one of the things that we pointed out to them. People take a verse out of the book of Genesis that says the animals went into the ark by twos and they interpret that to teach us that it was two of each kind. But the fact is if you'll go back to where God gave the command to Moses, he told Moses to take of the clean animals by sevens. It's not seven, but sevens with an S. And so it was evidently seven pairs because they went in by two. But see, somebody somewhere said it was two of every kind of animal, and so they, that has become the accepted interpretation. But when we get to study in the Scripture, we find out the accepted ter interpretation is not necessarily the correct one. So we've got, to, we've got to let the Bible speak for itself. See, what happens is when somebody does this, then it becomes a tradition. And if we're not careful, we, we, can, we can exalt tradition. This is number three on your page. We can exalt tradition over Scripture. And I've known a lot of people that do that. Their tradition is more important to them than the truth. And so this is very, very important. Mark chapter 7, verse 13, Jesus said this. He said, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which you have delivered, and many such like things do you. This is what he told the religious people of his day. He said, your tradition means more to you than the word of God does. And so if you're faced with my tradition or the Bible, you'll stick with tradition. And we can't do that. We need to always stay with the word of God. 
See, we're not going to be judged by our traditions. When we stand before God, he's not going to ask you, okay, what was your tradition? You know what he's going to do? He's going to judge us by the word of God. Number four, by the word of God. John chapter 12, verse 48. Jesus said, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. Now look at what he says. Jesus is telling us how we're going to be judged. And here's what he says. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. And so what is it that's going to judge us? It's the word of God. It's the word that Jesus has spoken. In fact, we actually see this taking place when we get over to the book of Revelation uh, as it describes the day of judgment. Let's go to page two in your studies. The top of page two, Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 12. said, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books, notice this, and the books, there's an S on the end of that word, the books, were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life okay now now look again here's where we get into some tradition because i deal with people all the time who say well as long as your name is in the lamb's book of life that's all that matters well the lamb's book of life is not the only book being opened here in fact we didn't finish reading that verse did we let's see what it said and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the not in the book but in the books according to their works now, now look the lamb's book of life is crucial it's important your name's got to be there but I want you to understand that what we're going to be judged by, according to Jesus, he said you're going to be judged by my words. So what are the books that are going to deal with our deeds? It's the 66 books we call Bible. That's what God is going to open on judgment day. He's going to open these books and he's going to say, here's what you should have done. Here's how you should have lived. Here are the things you should have accomplished. And yet here is what you did accomplish. Here's what you didn't do. So we are literally going to be judged by the word of God. Hallelujah. So let's, let's talk about the proper idea here. We, we must depend solely upon the word of God as our source of absolute truth. This is number one on page two of the study guide. Number one under B, the proper idea. Obviously, we must depend solely upon the word of God as our source of absolute truth. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word 
is truth. See, when people ask me, well, you know, this church believes this, and this church believes this, this preacher says this, and this preacher says this, how do I know what the truth is? Jesus just gave us the answer. The Word of God is the truth. The Word of God is the truth. It's not what some denomination says. It's not even what some preacher says. It's what does the Word of God say. That's how we know what the truth is. It's what's in the Word of God. This is the only, the only book that we can trust absolutely. I've got a lot of books. If you've been into my study, I've got a lot of books on my bookshelf. There are a lot of authors that I enjoy reading. There are a lot of men that provide good insight. But I'm going to tell you that every one of those books have the potential of fallacy. They can all be wrong. Every book can have something in it that's not accurate. But when I pick up this book, from cover to cover, everything in this book is true. I got a phone call from a young man uh, just the other day. He's just recently enrolled in college and he said he had a guest instructor come in to teach one of his classes and said the first words out of his mouth were I am a Christian and the next words out of his mouth were I believe in evolution and he said that the way he justifies it is he believes most of the Bible but there are some parts of the Bible that he just doesn't believe and I told this young man, I said, here's the problem. If there is anything in that book that we cannot trust, then there is nothing in the book that we can trust. How do we know? Okay, I'll take this, but I won't take this. I'll take this, but I won't take this. How do we decide what's true and what's not true? There's got to be a step of faith. We've got to have something. God had to have given mankind something that is absolutely true. We've got to be able to trust this book. And this book is the only book that we can trust absolutely. In fact, uh, this is A under number one. In fact, Paul admonished us, if necessary, to consider everyone except God a liar. A liar. Romans chapter 3 verse 4 says, God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. Every man. See, see look, God is not running his kingdom as a democracy. God doesn't take a popular vote and say, how many believe this? How many believe this? Okay, the first hands have it. That's not the way God does it. The scripture lets us know that if nobody believes it, but it's in the Bible, it's still true. Literally, literally, if there's not one soul alive that believes that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, it doesn't make it any less true. It just makes every man alive a liar, but this book is still true. So we got to trust this book. So that's why I say 
If we're going to understand a passage of scripture, we've got to go back to the Bible and find another scripture somewhere that will explain that verse to us. Amen? You still with me? All right. Now, now let's look at something here. Let's, let's look at our text. Let's go back, considering what we've just established, let's look again at our text, especially that last verse, Acts chapter 2 and verse 21, where, where the Bible says, It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, if we truly want to understand this verse, if we really want to understand this verse, we're going to have to forget our traditions. We're going to have to ignore the commentators. And we're going to have to look to the scriptures. It is key to us that we establish this principle so we go forward. We will no longer let the Bible interpret the Bible. All right? That's got to be a key that all of us can agree on. Regardless of what our background is, regardless of where we come from, we should be able to agree on that one principle, that only the Bible can interpret the Bible and do so accurately. Others can try, and we can consider what they say, but the only thing we know for sure is an accurate interpretation is another verse of Scripture. Okay, so, so then what the Bible says in Acts 2.21 is that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever does it. Whoever does it doesn't matter who they are. If they do this, they will be saved. So what we've got to determine tonight is what does it mean to call on the name of the Lord because that's what it takes to be saved. Okay? You agree with that statement? That, that's what he said. Whoever, whoever calls on the Lord's name, they're going to be saved. So what does he mean by that? When he says whoever calls on the Lord's name will be saved, what does that mean? Well, let's start out by telling you what it does not mean. See, there's a whole lot of the church world today that simply instructs people to pray what's called the sinner's prayer. Ran into this when I was in Africa. They asked me questions about the sinner's prayer. There's, there's a prayer that some man wrote that has circulated around that if you could get a sinner to read this prayer, then, then that sinner becomes saved. Well, if, if there was one prayer that could be written and, and that's what it meant to call on the name of the Lord, then, then I would think that, that Peter would have said, whosoever shall pray the sinner's prayer. But what he said was, whoever will call on the name of the Lord. What does it mean? Look, let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Matthew 7 and 21. This is at the top of page 3 of your study now. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, now wait a minute. I don't believe the Bible contradicts itself. Peter said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord is going to be saved. And yet Jesus said, not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, is going to be saved. 
So you know what that tells us? If the Bible does not contradict itself, it tells us that calling on the name of the Lord is not simply speaking his name in prayer. Because Jesus plainly told us that not everybody that speaks his name in prayer will be saved. So whatever calling on the name of the Lord means, it cannot mean just simply saying the Lord's name. Do you see that? You agree with that? Because Jesus said not everyone that says Lord, Lord is going to heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So, so can we say, if, if there's no contradiction in the scripture, and Peter says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, but yet Jesus said, the people that are going to be saved are not those that just speak my name, but those that do the will of the Father. Then is it safe to say that calling on the name of the Lord must involve doing the will of the Father. That, that's, that's the only thing it can mean. So, so we've got to do the will of the Father. Obviously, repeating a simple sinner's prayer is not sufficient. Not everyone that cries out to Jesus will be saved, but everyone who does the will of the Father will be. So we've got to find out what the will of the Father is with regard to salvation, and we're going to look at that. So let's talk about what calling on the name of the Lord is. We know what it's not. It's not just speaking his name in prayer. So let's find out what it is. All right, now, the apostle Peter gives us some insight about the will of God, about the will of God concerning salvation. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, there are two very important factors that we discover in this verse. First of all, God's will is that no one be lost. He is not willing that any should perish. God's will is not for you to be lost. God doesn't want you to be lost. God doesn't want you to go to hell. I've had people say, how could a loving God send me to hell? God's not going to send you to hell. God has provided a way for you to stay out of hell. If you go to hell, you send yourself there. He doesn't want you to go there. It's not his will that you go there. He's not willing that you should perish. And yet we learn from Jesus' statement in Matthew 7 that some will perish. Some will be lost. So what we do see is he's not willing that they should perish, but he is willing that all should come to Repentance. Do you see that it is the will of the Father that everyone repents? Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, I may have missed a blank there pointing out at the top of page three. Number B, according to Jesus Christ himself, not everyone who simply cries out to him or praises him for prayer will actually be 
saved. I want to make sure you've got that. And then we come on down here uh, under B1 uh, A parenthetical 2. He says God's will is that everyone repents. That's the will of God. That's the will of God. Jesus said if you want to go to heaven, you've got to do the will of God. And so calling on the name of the Lord must include repentance. Do you see that in your Bible? Can you see that's a part of calling on his name? Because calling on his name has got to involve doing his will, and his will is that you repent. So if you're going to call on his name according to the scripture, that means you've got to repent. Hallelujah. Now, repentance involves a number of things. See, down towards the bottom of page three, repentance involves a number of things. First of all, it involves a godly sorrow for the sins that you have committed. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Obviously, there's a difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. So there's got to be a godly sorrow for your sins. This is why I'm telling you that to just pray a prayer that's written out on a card or a sheet of paper, you just read that prayer, that's not godly sorrow. There's got to be godly sorrow in order for you to truly repent. And you got to repent to call on the name of the Lord. And you got to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. So there must be a godly sorrow for your sins. But there's something else that it involves. Uh, under parenthetical two here, it, it involves um, confessing and forsaking sin. Listen to Proverbs 28 verse 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Top of page four, to forsake sin, you must literally turn away from it. So if we're going to scripturally call on the name of the Lord, we got to change our lifestyle. That's what repentance means. The word repent literally means to turn around. So you've got to change your lifestyle. You've got to quit living the way you've always lived. You can't keep doing the wicked things that you've always done and expect to go to heaven. There's got to be, there's got to be a confessing and forsaking. Now, this is not confessing to a man. This is confessing to God. We don't have to set up confessional booths where you go tell some man what you did wrong. But you're confessing it to God, and then you're going to forsake it. You're going to literally turn away from it. Amen. If you're going to call on the name of the Lord scripturally, you have to change your lifestyle. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 6 and 46. He said, why call ye me Lord, Lord? See, there they are speaking his name again. But he said, you do not the things which I say. Calling on the name of the Lord must be obedience to his word. It's got to be doing what he wants, living as he wants. We must obey Jesus if we're going to call on his name. Listen to 2 Timothy 2.19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart 
from iniquity. This is what repentance is. Everyone that calls on his name needs to change the way they're living. It's not just pray a sinner's prayer and go right back to the old lifestyle. It's repent. It's change. It's turn around. This is a part of calling on the name of the Lord. God is not willing that any should perish. God wants everyone to repent. And I'm here to tell you, if we don't repent, we will perish. In fact, I'm not the one telling you that. Jesus is. Look at Luke 13 and 3. Jesus said, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. There's no question. God's not willing that we perish. God's willing that we repent. That's the will of the Father. So the first thing that we learn, E, the first thing that we learn about calling on the name of the Lord is that it involves repentance. You see that in the scripture? Do you see where the Bible teaches that? If you really call on the name of the Lord, you're going to have to repent to do that. You can't just call on his name by speaking the name Jesus or praying a simple prayer. You've got to really repent of your sins. Number two, the apostle Paul gave us further insight into what calling on the name of the Lord involves when he gave his own personal testimony in Acts chapter 22. Verses 12 through 16, here's what Paul said. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. At the same hour I looked upon him, and he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen is heard and heard. Now look at verse 16. And, and now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins calling on the name of the Lord. There's that phrase we're trying to figure out what it means. There's that phrase we're trying to see what the Bible tells us. The Bible said whoever calls on the name of the Lord is going to be saved. Paul here tells us part of what calling on the name of the Lord involves. It not only involves repentance, but it involves something more than that. Amen. Under A, Paul said that the process of having his sins washed away through baptism was part of calling on the name of the Lord. Remembering that we must obey the Lord's commands in order to truly call on his name, consider the fact that one of his commands is that we be baptized. Mark 16 and 16, Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Jesus said, You've got to be baptized to be saved. So this has got to be a part of calling on the name of the Lord. Now Jesus further said that we would believe on him through the word of his apostles. John 17 and 20, 
neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. In John 17, this is, this is the night of Jesus' betrayal. He's praying for his disciples that are there in the upper room with him as he's about to be betrayed. But in his prayer, here's what he said. I'm not just praying for these men, but I'm also praying for everyone that's going to believe on me. And how are they going to believe on me? Through their word. You know that Jesus as a man did not leave any written words behind. If we're going to believe anything about him, we've got to believe what his apostles said about him. We've got to believe what his disciples said about him. And so the way we believe on him is through what they told us to do. And one of the things that they commanded... This is at the top of page five. One of the things under D, one of the things his apostles commanded was baptism in Jesus' name. Let me show you this. Acts chapter 10, verses 46 to 48. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he, look at this. He commanded Peter, one of the 12 apostles, commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. This was the command of the apostles. And this is the way we believe on Jesus, is through following what the apostles commanded us. And so calling on the name of the Lord involves repentance and Calling on the name of the Lord involves being baptized in Jesus' name. To discover what else is involved in calling on the name of the Lord, let's look to the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 13 and verse number 9. Zechariah 13 and 9. He said, and I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. They shall, do you see the phrase? They shall do what? Call on my name. That's what we're trying to find. I hope that what, I hope you understand what I'm trying to convey tonight. That, that we're looking at scriptures that involve calling on the name of the Lord. And we're trying to see what all is a part of calling on the name of the Lord. And Zechariah here tells us, he uses this phrase, they shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say it is my people and they shall say the Lord is my God. Now, now look, I'm not going to go into everything that Zechariah 13 and 9 is talking about. But just understand this. He said, I'm going to bring them through the fire. Fire is a refining agent, and God intends for his people to be refined by fire. Just as a jeweler might use a blowtorch to refine gold or silver, God uses fire to purify his followers. But his is not an earthly fire. It's a heavenly fire. Let's read Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. John the Baptist is speaking, and he says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. 
what? With fire. Whose fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly purge his floor. And gather his wheat into the garner. And will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And so those that are going to call on the name of the Lord have got to pass through the fire. John the Baptist said the, the fire that we pass through is the fire of the Holy Ghost. And so part of the process of calling on the name of the Lord obviously involves receiving the Holy Ghost. This is B uh, here on page 5. Part of the process of calling on the name of the Lord involves receiving the Holy Ghost. You know that Jesus said this would be a part of true believing? What it means to really believe? Listen to what he says, John chapter 7. John 7, verses 38 and 39. He that believeth on me as the scripture hath said. Now, now notice, Jesus puts a qualifier because a lot of people are going to say they believe on the Lord. But Jesus said, if you want to do it the Bible way, if you believe on me the Bible way, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. And so, so you understand that the fire of the Holy Ghost must come to purify our lives. So if we're going to call on the name of the Lord, according to the scripture, we have to repent. According to the scripture, we have to be baptized in Jesus' name. According to the scripture, we have to receive the Holy Ghost. Now let me show you something else that calling on the name of the Lord involves. Again, we're going to go to the Old Testament. This time, Zephaniah 3 verse 9. Zephaniah 3 and 9. For then will I turn to the people a pure language that they may all do what? Not just call, but do what? Call upon the name of the Lord. That's what we're looking for. Verses that define calling on the name of the Lord. And here's something the Bible said is going to happen. I will turn to the people a pure language that they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. Now let's talk about this for a minute. Those that are going to call on the name of the Lord are going to have to have a pure language. Is there a language on earth that we could define as pure? Is there a language on earth that we could say has no profanity? That language has never been used to tell a lie. That language has never been used to describe evil, wicked deeds of men. There is no such earthly language. Right? There's no earthly language that we could say is pure. And yet God said those that are going to call on the name of the Lord have got to have a pure language. So how are we going to get our corrupt tongue cannot be used to call on the name of the Lord in a pure fashion? So when a person repents of his sins, they're baptized in Jesus' name for their mission of sins, God sends the Holy Ghost fire for purification. And what happens when you receive the Holy Ghost? Look at Acts chapter 2 verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. 
and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. With the baptism of the Spirit comes a new language. This is under parenthetical 2, page 6, parenthetical 2. With the baptism of the Spirit comes a new language that's foreign to the new believer. He doesn't know what the words mean. He has no idea what he's saying. And therefore, he cannot corrupt that language. If you're speaking in tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance, you can't cuss. You can't talk about wicked things. But that's the only way that you could truly have a pure language is if God is the one in control of that language. And so Zephaniah 3 and 9 says, I will turn to the people a pure language that they may call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. That pure language is given for the purpose that people may call upon the name of the Lord. So let's go back and look at our text again. Acts 2 and 21, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You have to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And yet you have to be given a pure language to fully call upon the name of the Lord. Am I still in the book? Am I still in the Bible? You have to have that pure language to call on the name of the Lord. But you've got to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. So I'm telling you, if you've never spoken in that pure language, you've never scripturally fully called on the name of the Lord. And therefore, scripturally, you're not saved. Let's review what we've learned and then compare those findings to other verses of Scripture and see if everything lines up here, all right? So at the bottom of page 6, um, to begin with, we've learned that calling on the name of the Lord involves repentance. Say it with me. Baptism in Jesus' name and receiving the Holy Ghost, which is evidenced by speaking in tongues. This is what we've seen in the scripture, right? I mean, we've found verses of scripture that said this is what calling on the name of the Lord means. So when Jesus told Nicodemus what he had to do to be saved, notice what is involved. John chapter 3 verse 5. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was obviously living a repentant life. The Bible lets us know he was a devout man, a religious man, a good man. He was already living a repentant life. So what did Jesus say you still got to do? He said you got to be born of water. You got to be born of the spirit. So even though he was already living a repentant life, he still needed baptism and the Holy Ghost. Because this is a part of calling on the name of the Lord. In fact, Jesus is not finished. Let's go down to verse 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. But canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. 
Now notice what Jesus said. Jesus said there's a lot of things about the wind that you don't know, but he plainly stated that everyone that's born of the Spirit will produce a certain sound. The only certain factor in John 3 and 8 is thou hearest the sound thereof. There's nothing else that's certain in that verse, right? The wind blows where it wants to. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. All of that's uncertain. The only certainty there is you hear the sound. And then he says, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So what he's telling us is every person that's born of the Spirit is going to have a sound that accompanies that birth. Everyone that's born of the Spirit will have that sound. Now, he didn't specifically say everyone that's born of the Spirit is going to speak in tongues. He didn't say it in those words. But there is only one sound that consistently accompanies receiving the Holy Ghost. Look at it in the Scripture. Acts 2 verse 4. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Acts chapter 10 verses 45 and 46. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnified God. Acts 19 and 6. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesy. So there's only one sound that's consistent in every case. They always spoke in tongues. When the penitent multitude asked Peter how to be saved, what was his response? Now Peter has already said in verse 21, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And now they're asking, tell us what to do. Obviously they didn't understand what he meant by calling on the name of the Lord. He's not going to give them two different instructions. So he's going to give them an answer here. Acts chapter 2 verses 37 through 39. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent. And be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Amen. So Peter told the crowd to do the very things that we learned are a part of calling on the name of the Lord. Repentance. Baptism in Jesus' name and receiving the Holy Ghost. Friend, if you want to be saved, you must call on the name of the Lord. And if you want to scripturally call on the name of the Lord, you must repent. You must be baptized in Jesus' name. You must receive the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in other tongues. There's no other way to call on the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm glad I called on his name. More than 40 years, years ago, I called on his name. I repented of my sins. I got baptized in Jesus' name. I received the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. I called on the name of the Lord. 
if you want to be saved, you've got to do it the same way I did, the same way they did it in the Bible. Because whoever does that shall be saved. Let's stand. Hallelujah. Let's talk to the Lord right now, can we, everybody? Let's talk to the Lord. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Oh, Lord. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. church I, I know I know it's a little after nine o'clock I know that sometimes nine o'clock tends to be magic hour you're ready to shut down and go home but I have taken the time tonight to try to put into your hands a tool you don't have to use this tool there are other tools available as I said Tuesday night Lord willing next week I want to come back and teach into his marvelous light and um some of you have been through that. Some of you have not. Uh, Lord willing, I want to take you through that next week. But this is a tool that I've tried to make available to you. That, that at least for me, of course, I'm the author of it. So for me, it makes perfect sense. To me, it's, it's line upon line, precept upon precept. I know that it's late, I know that it's late, and I'm not going to keep you much longer. But I, I just don't feel like I can dismiss if I'm going to be a good teacher. If I don't give you at least a moment, if there's some point I didn't make clear, something maybe I didn't explain well enough, or maybe that you just didn't, didn't follow what I was trying to say. I, I, I just feel like I need to give you the opportunity if, if you want to be seated for just a moment, just give you the opportunity to ask a question before I dismiss you. I, I, can't, I can't just put these in your hand and expect that you've got it all going through at one time. W would you be honest with me? Because if you're asking the question, if you're thinking it, if, if you've got the question in your mind, most likely somebody else does too. Is there anything that as I went through, yes, response is we've got to let the Bible give the answer it's not about what I think it's about what the Bible says and if the Bible says calling on the name of the Lord means you'll be saved then we're going to have to 
Search the scriptures, Jesus said, for in them you think you have eternal life. Um, the apostle Paul told us that we have to study to show ourselves approved. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So obviously it's possible to wrongly divide it. Or he would not have used the adjective rightly to describe the dividing. You follow me? So, so this is where, is it simple? Yeah, I think it's simple. I think it's simple in that Peter said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then they come back and say, well, tell us what to do. And he says, repent, be baptized. There's the simplicity of it. What I've tried to do is take you through the scripture and prove from the scripture that what Peter said in response to their question is backed up. Peter didn't just come up with this on the spur of the moment. You follow me? So the simplicity of it is from 21 to 37, 38, 39. There's the simplicity of it. But all I've tried to do is show you that it's rooted and grounded in the scripture. Okay? But, but it's a good question. Anyone else? See, when there are no questions, all right, there's one back there. All right. say every man is a liar that's where you, you, you can't let them twist the scripture like that it's saying if you're faced with a choice between what a man says and what God says God is always the one that's true not every man is always a liar but if you have to make a choice between man or God choose God that's what the verse is saying so, so, no, and, and you're right that the Bible says that the scripture that holy men of old wrote as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Bible says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, or that literally means is breathed by God. These men were nothing more than secretaries writing down the words that the author was giving to them. So, so... The fact is, and I, I mean, I wouldn't say this to their face, although I have, I, I, I got asked a question in Africa, and I just couldn't help myself. I, I probably, I may have been a little bit more sharp than I should have been in my response, but, but a person who will say that to you doesn't want to know the truth. They're just trying to find a way to avoid the Bible, okay? And, and so this is why the Bible says ignorant and unlearned, Foolish questions avoid. When I was in Africa, after I had spent however long teaching on the necessity of baptism, I had let them submit questions, and somebody asked a question, what about the people in Antarctica where the, everything is covered with ice? How do they get baptized? My response to them was, you're in Africa. You don't have that problem. That, that's what I told him one that's exactly what I said to him you're in Africa you don't have that problem why are you worried about it I'm not preaching to people in Antarctica I'm preaching to you 
Let's let God worry about Antarctica. You got to worry about you. Now, again, anybody that asks those kinds of questions, they're not interested in truth. This is the same thing when they start, and I had these kind of questions presented to me too. Well, what about so-and-so? You know, you get, um, see, when I was, I've, I've talked to you about this. When I was 17 years old, I was the guest on a radio talk show, Christian radio talk show, and I was, I was talking about water baptism. And the host of the show said, well, what about somebody on their deathbed? And, and they turn to God on their deathbed, and then they die, and they can't get baptized. What do you do about them? I'm going to tell you, anybody that asks that question, they're not really interested in an answer. All they're doing is trying to paint you in a corner to get you to say somebody went to hell. That's all they want. They just want to make you the judge. So then they condemn the fact that you just judged the situation they gave to you. So, so he asked me that question. What do you do? Somebody on their deathbed. They're going to die. They can't get baptized. What do you do? I said, well, I've got a personal testimony. My grandmother, 77 years old, was in a coma. The doctor called the family and said she was going to die. She prayed a prayer and said, God, if you'll get me out of this hospital, I'm going to my grandson's church and I'm going to get baptized. God raised her up out of the hospital. She got baptized. I said, my answer to you is if they're sincere, God will make a way. And I say the same thing about Antarctica. Hey, look, I'm telling you, we, we don't, you know, right here in the Midwest, you get some of the old timers, and I'll tell you, they've had to go out and break ice in ponds and baptize people in cold, icy ponds and cold, icy rivers, but they've done it. It can be done. So don't give me these crazy off-the-wall questions. What about people in Antarctica? How many people live in Antarctica? Why are you worried about that? Let's worry about you. Here is water. What doth hinder thee? Right? So, sometimes you just have to understand the question. You have to be kind. You can't always answer them like, you know, I, but in that case, of course, the crowd loved it. They, they roared. They thought that was hilarious. Um, asking about, the question actually was worded in such a way, what about places that are completely covered in ice, such as Antarctica? And so that's why I say, you're in Africa. You don't have to worry about that. And they thought that was pretty funny. That's true. We've never seen it in Africa where any place was covered in ice. So no, we don't have to worry about that here. Um, so, you know, some of those questions, don't just be kind, but understand they're not really wanting an answer. All they want is they want to get you to say somebody went to hell. What about my grandma? Are you going to tell me my grandma went to hell? And, and, and I got one of those questions in Africa. Somebody, what about people who do this? What about people who do that? What? And, and my answer was, I'm not here to worry about anybody but you. I'm talking about you and what I'm showing you in the scripture. This is your obligation. Let's quit worrying about everybody else. All right? Any other questions about the study? Anything in the study that... that 
do you understand where I'm going with it? Do you understand what I'm trying to accomplish with the study? We're just trying to define calling on the name of the Lord. And my response to that would be that, that you misunderstood what I was saying. What I said was you can't just read, just read a prayer and that be sufficient. But even though, even though you were sincere, there had to be repentance involved. So it depends on what you said in that prayer. And it depends on your attitude and your spirit. I'm not going to judge whether you were sincere. But that in and of itself is not everything that's involved in calling on the name of the Lord. So even if what you did in praying the sinner's prayer qualifies as repentance, there's more to calling on the name of the Lord than just repentance. And this is why I say that just praying the sinner's prayer doesn't mean you're saved. It may mean you had a touch from God, you had an experience with God, I don't discount that. I don't take away from that. But you've got to call on his name to be saved. And calling on his name involves more than just repentance. Yeah. And... and you know, in, in instances like that, I, I take them over to Acts chapter 8. And um, here in this city, they received what Philip preached. They had great joy. They're seeing miracles. They're seeing demons cast out. Obviously, they're feeling the Spirit too. But they're not saved. And so there's a difference. It, 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 it boils down to we've got it. we can't define salvation based on what we feel. We've got to base it on what the Word of God says. Okay? Always take them back to the Bible. If, if we get off on anything else, we're going to be in trouble. Get back to the Bible. The Bible is the answer. It's not how you feel, how I feel. Amen. It's, it's not how... It's not how we feel about things and whether we feel the Spirit from time to time. W would it be safe to say Samson felt the Spirit? But was God pleased with Samson? Obviously not. Feeling the Spirit is not the same as being born of the Spirit. And just because you feel it doesn't mean you've been born of it. Right? So we've got to go back. What is calling on the name of the Lord? What does the Bible say? Right? Some good questions. Anyone else? I started to say a while ago, if, if there, it always worries me, the teacher in me, it, it worries me if there are no questions. 
because that means one of two things that I either did a phenomenal job and just totally nailed it down or I messed it up so bad that people don't know where to start and I usually tend to think it's the latter and not the former so I'm, I'm glad to know there's a few questions alright any other questions and I'm going to let you go but, but I, I hope I hope that you understand what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to accomplish, the purpose of this study. It's going somewhere. There's a theme. There's an idea. There's, there's a direction you're taking. You just want to show them, this is what the Bible said it takes to be saved. Now, what does that mean? Well, let's let the Bible tell us what it means. All right? And we just go and find all these scriptures that say this is what it means to call the name of the Lord. And we put all that together, and lo and behold, we got Acts 2.38. That's the beauty of this truth. That's the beauty of this truth. It's all there. It's all there. Praise God. All right? Yes. You know, Sean, the only way to answer that is it's a matter of faith. We have to believe, we have to believe that God loved us enough to give us something we could trust. There is no way that God would put man on this earth and then just back away and say, do the best you can, hope you make it. That, that would not be a loving God. And the God we serve is a loving God. And, and if he loves us, you know, it would be like, like you then inviting some school friend and say, okay, come to my house Saturday. We're going to have a big party. I want you there. I say, okay, great. Where do you live? Oh, I'm not going to tell you that. You just get there, okay? I want you there. I really want you there. So you, you get there. Best way you can. Figure it out. See you on Saturday, 2 o'clock. Don't be late. Right? You, if you really want them there, you're going to give them direction on how to get there. We only have one set of directions. And if we can't trust those directions, then we can't even trust God at all. How do I prove that we have to trust God? How do I prove that God... I don't prove it. There are some things... See, that's, that's, the Bible never sets about to prove the existence of God. The Bible never sets about When you open your Bible, the first word you read, in the beginning, God. It doesn't say, now let me tell you, you got to understand that there is a God because, it just, there's some things you're just going to have to take it at face value. Okay? Now, we could get into an entire study of the fact that the Bible's never been proven wrong. There's not one thing in the Bible that has ever been proven inaccurate. Nothing. Every time histori uh, historians 
try to pull some obscure passage out and say, well, this king never existed, this person never existed. Invariably, archaeology has proven the Bible. It has always been proven to be accurate. There's not another book on the face of the earth that's as old as it is, written by as many different people that has no contradictions and no errors and still remains relevant after all these years. How do we know we can trust the Bible? That's as good a way as I know to tell you. I don't know of any other book. There is no other book that even comes close. You know, if you pick up, they want to trust science, pick up a science book from 40 years ago. See how much of it's not right. In fact, you know what you're going to find if you read a science book from 40 years ago? You're going to find out that there is another ice age coming. That's what they were saying 40 years ago. I promise that's the truth. In the 70s, they were saying there was an ice age coming. 20 years later, it's global warming and we're going to burn up. Right? But they're going to believe that science book. Boy, they pick up that science. There's truth in that book. But they got to change it every few years because they find out they weren't right. But yet this book has remained consistent. It's remained sure. And it's unlike any other book that there is. Right? Anyone else? I'm on your time now. I can stay as late as you want. I'm on your time now. We're taking questions. This is your time. Praise God. All right. If not, then I guess we'll stand. Uh, tomorrow's fast day till 3 o'clock. For everybody who will and can join us 3 o'clock until 3 o'clock tomorrow. Um, keep working on getting a Bible study. If you want copies of this, they are, um, in fact, Josh, right now they're sitting where, I don't even know, forget it, I'll find them. I think they're sitting on my printer, but I don't know for sure. I'll find them and I'll set them out on the uh, table if you want them. I'll go there immediately after dismissal. If you want to take some copies with you.